Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 343 Podcast. This is Gary Kleiben. I'm your host. And yes, we are in World Cup madness at the moment. Usually, we don't discuss current events here on 343. We try to focus on evergreen, never-changing fundamental principles for you to take and run with, and then analyze the current events as you watch them and as you see them. But we're making an exception today, folks. I have Joey Cassio here on the line. And yes, the United States played Wales a couple of days ago. We chose to chat a little bit about that so you can hear us and what it is that we saw during the match. We certainly didn't replay the game and analyze it or anything of that nature. From my perspective, I just try to look at it as a fan and not as a coach and not as an analyst. So I was trying to enjoy the match. But nonetheless, there's a handful of things that stuck out like a sore thumb. And I went ahead and shared some of those thoughts with Joey. Joey shared his observations as well. I think it's more than worthwhile to have a listen because it's unlikely you've heard these sorts of takes from other outlets for a whole host of reasons you might already know. In any case, after we chatted a little bit about the Wales match, I kind of went off on a rant, uh, almost on a monologue. And I apologize to Joey a bit because. I don't know, um, because, you know, he's my guest and there has to be a nice little dialogue or exchange, but a, a topic or two or three really grabbed me for the evening and I just had to let her rip. So hopefully you enjoy that. I'm certainly revealing a lot of things that I've never revealed before on the podcast or in writing or via Twitter, although I may have hinted at it at some point in the past. And, and maybe this is something that uh, you can follow up with me with further questions, because man, are some of these things juicy, and man, are some of these things very important, and man, they aren't being talked about through our mainstream media. Not to mention, it offers a few key insights that you can take with you for the game versus England to keep an eye out for. So things such as what's going on in the midfield, uh, what's going on playing out from the back, what's going on with the quality of our team in general, uh, you name it, I think the Wales match offered some key things to keep in mind when we confront England, and we mentioned those in today's episode. Here we go. And now, a quick few second mentions on what sponsors this episode. It's the best way to support the podcast, but more important, greatly improve your current soccer situation. First, if you're a coach, you've got to check out 343coaching.com. There are both free and premium programs for you there. The premium program in particular gives you full access to watch and listen to players, teams, and coaches in the real-life training environment. Now, what I mean by that is that the film and audio are not staged or scripted, such as what you would get at a conference or a typical course or video online. No, no, no. You get to be a legit fly-on-the-wall and steady Brian who basically helped pioneer a seismic shift in American soccer on how to develop youth players at every level. Among the many now professional players who were under his direct tutelage across many teams, one team in particular, which he started at U10 and led through U19, really stands out. Over a handful of players on that team became professionals. It's incredible work. And the actual training of that team and those players is what you get to use to catapult your coaching. Okay, second, let's say you're not a coach, but you're a parent of a youth player looking for how to best put them on a proper path. 
The solution for you guys is at 343masterclass.com. And third, if you'd consider going to a private school for academics, either here in the States or in Europe, that also has an integrated soccer program, you should check out acceleratorschool.com. Critically important, the solutions for coaches, for parents, and for players are offered from people who have actually done the work and have an unprecedented track record in the United States. All right. I hope you enjoy this episode. We're just scratching the surface here, folks, but it's an important starting point for us to further expand down the line. Joey, the legend Cassio. How do I sound? You sound perfect. Okay, cool. What's up, man? It's World Cup fever time, and I was just messaging with Kefren on WhatsApp, and I'm like, dude, it's going to be a rough one over here on the West Coast. It's two in the morning. Five in the morning, eight in the morning games. So it has started sleepless nights. I'm changing my entire schedule somehow. Right. Yeah, me too. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I have training tomorrow night. I'm going to, it's going to be a long day. <clears throat> but yeah, Crazy. the last time it was like this was like Japan, man, when the World Cup was in Japan in 02, I remember watching games at two in the morning. Yeah. Like Mexico tomorrow, that game is kind of like the U.S. game was today. It is absolutely essential and critical for Mexico to beat Poland because it's kind of like Mexico and Poland are the ones kind of competing for that second spot, you know, because Saudi Arabia, with all due respect, will probably end up being, you know, at the tail end of the group. So if you tie Poland as, as Mexico or you lose, heaven forbid, to Poland, all of a sudden, you're kind of obligated to maybe get a result against Argentina. And yeah. it's not impossible. Anything's possible. But do you, re you can't put yourself in that situation. Kind of like the U.S. now. No, you don't have to get a result against England. I mean, you can lose that game. But then, ooh, like all the marbles are left on the table for the last game. And now things don't even depend on you anymore. Amen. 100%. Yeah, playing playing the big dog in the group in the second game without getting a win in the first game, man, that makes it super hard. Massive pressure, dude. Hey, so if you don't mind, let me kind of preface it for everybody. First off, we're going to be talking about players. We might even be talking about a particular coach, uh, <laughs> right? Because uh, we're going to talk about the U.S. And I think I just want to get it, the message across clearly that you and I, and I'm going to speak for you and you can correct me, like we have no issue with the players or the coach or coaching staff, like on a personal human level, right? It's like awesome. Jordan Morris, you are a professional soccer player. You're making a great living in MLS. You're having a wonderful experience with the national team since you first started when Jurgen Klinsmann plucked you out of college soccer without even having played a single pro game in your life. And Jurgen debuted you with the senior men's national team. Now you're in the World Cup and you even, you know, get subbed on against Wales here in a very important game. Like I have no personal qualms with Jordan Morris or Greg Berhalter. Awesome. Congratulations. You're a human being. I'm sure you're a stand-up sort of guy. You're I mean, I don't know you on a personal level, but I want the audience to understand that it's not it's not like that when we criticize the players or the coach or whatever. So I kind of like wanted to get that out of the way because then we're going to dig in deep because I facepalm at the very thought of Jordan Morris even 
being a household name in any way, shape, or form in the professional soccer scene here in the United States. He is emblematic of the incorrect player profile that has always existed in our country. And as a consequence of that, we continue picking that player profile, and it's the worst thing that we can possibly do. And here we go again. Another World Cup, Jordan Morris, just like so many of the other guys we're probably going to discuss, on the senior men's national team playing in the World Cup. So anyways, I, I think you agree you, you have the same sentiment, right? You have nothing against personal, against players or coaches or anything. No, not at all. Nothing personal whatsoever. It's just conversation and criticism that I think we want to put out there to try to help us move the needle in the direction that makes us better as a soccer nation. And that that's that's what it is. Nothing personal at all. Good, man. All right. Impressions of the game. Well, I I think the way that the first half went, we we were on the front foot. We were controlling the game. We were in Wales half most of the of that first half. But just like you said, the the player profile that has been selected again by the coaching staff, it we had no playmaking quality. So as much as we had the ball, as much as we dominated that first half, we created very little against Wales. And yeah, Pulisic created that goal-scoring chance for Wea. Wea finished it off. But outside of that, you, you could see that we were seriously lacking playmaking quality to take advantage of the domination that we had in the first half. I think with that sort of domination, a team like Brazil, a team like Argentina, they're probably at least going to have you'd like to think two goals and they're going into the first half or the second half with a two goal lead, maybe even more. But us, I think that that hurt us significantly. The lack of playmaking quality to take advantage of the domination that we had in that first half with only one goal. And then we saw in the second half, things completely changed. Wales was dropping off of us, allowing us to circulate the ball. You know, they were trying to probe, but you could see that none of these guys really have the ability to play a lot of line breaking passes and, and create chances for each other. Yeah, man, I kind of share the same observations. Let me, so it's on record. The U S had a total of six shots, the whole game, only one of which was on target, which happened to be the goal on 59% possession. And you saw my tweet, of course, and this is against the very modest whales. Like in case it's not clear, who is Wales on the international stage? It's basically a minnow. It's kind of like a CONCACAF sort of situation there, uh, but obviously out of Europe. So it's a, I, I don't want to minimize them too much, right? Because their players play in competitive leagues and competitive environments day in and day out. So they're fairly good in that risk regard. But we always knew that Wales was going to give the United States the ball. They're just going to volunteer here. You guys have it. No problem whatsoever because the U S on paper and probably in, in reality, player for player, we're better outside, maybe two or three guys in Wales, everybody else, the U S is better. So they gave us the ball and that is why we had 59% possession. I just want to make that clear because some fans, even media might believe that, oh, we, the United States we imposed our will, we imposed our superiority on Wales. And that's why the first half looked the way it looked, as opposed to giving Wales credit for like, nah, have it. 
We're just going to chill in our mid low block, look for our breakout opportunities, play with the clock, let the clock keep running and running and running, maybe get to the second half with a draw at that point and pick our moments to see if we can get a goal, lock it down and come out with a win against the United States. I think that was probably the game plan and credit to Wales. I think it worked quite well. I'm also curious, Joey, there's another possibility here. And that is that Wales knew the United States very well as a team. And they're like, you know what? These guys can't have no creativity in the midfield. They can't create worth a damn. So if we just chill in our own mid-low block, it's going to be very hard for the United States to break us down and find great goal-scoring opportunities. So it could be quite deliberate from that angle also. So to your point that we have no creativity... Some people might say, oh, well, we created a lot, Joey. We created a lot. And Gary, did you not see us like in the final third, like the ball was dangerously like in the whale sort of territory? And there's a little bit of merit to that, but it was always like from the outsides and with blind crosses and literally like blind crosses from Anthony Robinson, AYSO crosses where you first learn how to play soccer, meaning you drive down the, the channel and then you just say, oh, I'm almost at the baseline here. Let's just blindly serve a ball in and hopefully something happens. That's what Anthony Robinson brought. And in many respects from the other channel as well, um, but nothing down the middle. Yeah. The, the point that you said where you, you mentioned like, yeah, Wales may have deliberately like done that on purpose, drop off, said, hey, let them come at us. Let's see what they got. They don't have much. We know it. I felt like that was sort of their strategy in the first half, right? And we we got the goal. So I don't know if that, dictated their difference in strategy in the second half or maybe pre-game they said hey let's let these guys come at us we'll sit back we'll make them feel comfortable in this first half and then we'll start to move up the field a little bit more maybe pressure them a little bit higher up the field and even in that second half when Wales did change a little bit we struggled. You start to see that when we're under pressure our players don't have the technical quality, the decision making quality to keep control of the game in that situation. So either way, we we had the ball in the first half, circulating the ball, looking to pro, but couldn't really make much of it. The crosses, like you said, yeah, we were playing balls in around the area, but they weren't like accurate that we see from other players in the world where you notice the quality in the passes that they play to their teammates. That's missing from, from these players on the American team. The other thing that's the second half, go ahead. Go ahead. No, the second half, I was just going to sort of repeat what I already said, but yeah, they had a hard time keeping control of the ball in the second half when Wales' line of confrontation was a little bit higher up and we started to lose control significantly in the game. Something else I think is noteworthy is when you can't create and penetrate through the middle of the field. Let's say you have possession in the opponent's half. When you can create from creative midfielders, through the middle of the park using combination play, lightning fast wall passes, one, two, one, two, and then you're in on goal or one, two, one, two, dish it to the outside, serve and finish or one, two, one, two, and then you filter a nice little touch uh, and leave somebody 1v1 with the keeper. When you don't have that threat or you don't have the threat of a 20, 25 yard blast from outside, then teams don't really, they're not scared of you. You can't open them up. It was interesting. Um, I started the first five minutes watching the Fox soccer broadcast. 
<laughs> and I, I'm giving a lot of credit here. I don't think I lasted five minutes. I lasted under five minutes and Stu opened his mouth about stuff. And I'm like, I can't, I, I can't do this. The intention was noble on my part because I wanted to like, okay, let's see what these guys say. You know, it might stimulate some juices in me as to what kind of commentary I can offer either online or in something that like we're, we're doing right now, but I can't. I can't put myself through that. It's just torture. It, it saps the joy of football out of me when I hear somebody like that. First off, talking nonsense. And second, you know, utilizing the pr platform to, to spew propaganda about MLS, about American soccer, about all that stuff. So I lasted under five minutes. I switched it over to the Spanish language broadcast. And one of the color commentators there was Tab Ramos, who I have a lot of respect for, speaking in Spanish. And there was a play where Serginio Dest took a long range shot around 25 yards, or whatever. He hit it over the bar. No big deal. It wasn't that dangerous, but he mentioned it. And it's something that's very well known. Okay. Well, at least you do that. And you did that. And it makes the other team think a little bit and have to step out and try to confront the, the man with the ball so that a shot doesn't happen. And then that opens up passing lanes and all kinds of capabilities. But we don't have a player like that that can seriously put fear in, into the other team from long range. And so if when you encounter like a Wales or maybe in Iran uh, or even here in CONCACAF, you sit in the deep block and you're not scared. You don't have to come out and attack the ball carrier. So we have those great weaknesses in the center of the park without those threats. And that makes us that uh, much vulnerable uh, to get exposed. And so what are, the, uh, what are you left doing, Joey? It's how I opened up. Oh, you have to spray the ball wide and hope that our outside backs or wingers kind of serve up crosses into the box and maybe somebody gets on the end of it, maybe not. Uh, it's kind of just a lottery at that point or rely on set pieces or maybe rely on a transition moment, which is what our goal was, by the way. Our goal wasn't, it was a great play by Christian Pulisic and it was a great filtered ball, leaving Wea one-on-one with the keeper. And Wea made a great diagonal run in behind the back line to break that line and not be offside. Those two guys did phenomenal. Awesome. You know, this is what international football looks like at the highest levels. But it's not like it was like a play built up to that. It was a transition moment. It was a counterattack sort of moment. And you caught Wales in a high line. And that's what happened. Yeah. When, when Wales had the time to get in position and get organized in the back, like you said, it, it became us having to try to go around their defensive lines instead of having the quality to play through their defensive lines. And I had this thought a little bit later in the day. We know that Burhalter has stuck with McKinney, Musa, and Tyler Adams pretty much most of the cycle. And I started to think about like other other coaches around the world. Like for example, like you have like a, a, a Ten Hog who likes to play attacking football, much of like what Burhalter said that he wanted to play. But he'll always start games, especially now that Ten Hogs had some time to build his identity into the team with the attacking players. And he's gonna go for it. He's gonna try to score goals, take it to the other team, put him to the sword, get a lead. And then late in the game, if he needs to protect that lead, he then will bring in the enforcer type of player. 
Now, he already has Casemiro, and he plays with him. Ten Hag plays with him, and then he's got the other guys further up. And then late in the game, he'll bring on like McTominay to help him protect the lead. Back in the case of today with the U.S. national team, we had three enforcers on the field who didn't have any sort of ability to play make. But I started thinking, Matt, what if we if we started with Gio Reyna? Yeah, maybe he hasn't had significant minutes of late, but maybe he gives us a little bit more attacking flair. And you try to go for it with him. You try to get a lead of some sort. And then later in the game, you bring on one of these other guys to help you secure the win. But it, we were late in the game. We started to lose control in the second half. And I think at that point, Burhalter was just thinking, oh, oh shit, we're, we don't really have control. Let's just protect ourselves. You know, hopefully we get a draw. Maybe we get some sort of goal. So I thought the, the game plan, it hurt us because we, we had the opportunity to score goals in the first half, but we didn't have the players that we needed in those situations to take advantage of it. Totally, dude. You brought something up and that was, I mean, you brought something up tangentially about kind of like what we, it is that we were promised. Uh, at the beginning of the Burhalter era, uh, we're going to be this possession-based team. We're going to move the opponent from side to side, uh, find our opportunities to go forward. So you know what Burhalter kind of said. He's like, hey, we want to do kind of like a Barcelona thing. Without him saying Barcelona and Pep, he kind of reiterated the same sort of philosophy and identity and gave lip service to this whole movement that was clearly a Pep Guardiola-esque sort of thing. Have the ball, probe the opponent, move the opponent, find where our numerical advantages are, go after that, and then combine and build up play and then score. So, whatever. You, you understand what I'm saying. That's what we were promised. We saw some of that with the super minnows in CONCACAF uh, because they're super minnows. And just by naturally, that's what's going to happen. I mean... If an MLS team plays against uh, a college team, you don't even need a coach. The MLS team is going to have the possession, the US, and the MLS team is going to be able to look Barcelona-esque in some sort of way. And that's what the U.S. men's national team is able to do against some of these super minnows in CONCACAF. But even with like the mid-tier CONCACAF opponents, you couldn't, that, that would break down already. You wouldn't see that at all. Then... Come on, are we really evolving? Are we really graduating? Do we really know what it is that we're doing? People took a lot of issue when I said, Weston McKinney, if we want to be this, quote unquote, Pep team, Barcelona team, Spain team, Man City team, if we aspire to ha do that sort of stuff, Argentina team, France team, you can't have them, but he's a destroyer, right? You don't have him and Adams, and Musa, and Kellen Acosta, and all these guys who are not creative players at all, simultaneously. So this is the same sort of U.S. team that we've always had, Joey, which is a hard-working, blue-collar team with maybe a couple of talented players, two or three talented players. Obviously, Christian Pulisic is quite talented. Uh, Serginho Dest is quite talented and maybe another one or two guys, but everything else is just a blue collar sort of grind it out. And I think we saw that this time. I think they also played with fear in the second half. I don't know if that was Burhalter, who really early in the second half, he's got really conservative and said, Ooh, we're winning one zero. Let's maybe lock this down and not risk so much. And I think that is why Wales kind of grew and their opportunities grew. 
people are going to criticize that. You know, let me let me end with this, and then I'll hand over the mic. Hercules Gomez, I forgot the quote exactly today, but he said something to the effect of, in Spanish, yeah, everybody talks about this U.S. men's national team, the players being green. Yeah, green meaning like super young, not ready, not ripe. But the reality is that their coach is also super green. So this is Greg Berhalter's first rodeo. And certainly the teams that he's managed in the past aren't big time teams with a lot of pressure uh, riding on him. So he's new to this too. I think we saw that in his substitution decision instead of bringing on Gio Reyna to go for it, he elected to go with Jordan Morris. Why, dude? Can you tell me why? Can you tell me? I, I, I'm still trying to understand that. I, I don't know myself. I mean, the only thing I, yeah, I don't know. Cause he's, it's not like he's a midfielder or like a, an outside back who has this profile of being a, a physical presence to help you lock down the game. Like he's, he plays on the wing. So I, I don't really know. I didn't understand it myself, but I think that that shows to your point that Burhalter doesn't have a lot of experience at this level, that that was his decision to go that route instead of like, hey, yeah, we maybe lost a little bit of control of Wales in the second half, but we can regain the control. We can be on the front foot again in the second half. Let's bring on Gio Reyna, who clearly is a player on this roster who could help us probably do that and gives us a chance to win the game. And it just seemed like with that decision, he was more afraid of losing than he was of, yes, the mindset of, yes, we can get control again. We can go and we can win this game. But what? But I'm trying to understand why Jordan, like even with that idea, Joey, it's like, what difference does it make Jordan Morris or Gio Reyna from a conservative standpoint, from a fear-based standpoint? What's Jordan Morris do that Gio Reyna doesn't do or can't do? And so much better that you would sacrifice Gio's clearly superior attacking capabilities for Jordan Morris, which not only on the ball, again, I go back to what I said in the opening, I nothing personal, <laughs> Jordan, okay? <laughs> Great human being, I'm sure. But good Lord, like, what does he offer, Joey? Just straight 40-yard dash speed is better than Gio or something? I, I don't know. And then... On the defensive side, it's not like Jordan Morris is amazing at pressing or defending, 1v1 defending, or tracking back and getting stuck in. Like, I just don't understand the move, dude. I, I really don't get it. I, I don't either. The only thing that I can think of is just the, the physical profile, the difference in physical profile between so, the two Oh, players. so look at Jordan. He's bigger. He's got more muscle. <laughs> he's, got, he's, got, he's heavier. Uh, he can body up people more than Gio, and Gio's still a kid. He's still young. You know, it, it, that's the only thing, right? That is that, that what you're angling at? That's the only thing that I can possibly think of. But Gio's actually not a small dude, man. Like even when I went to the U17 Concacaf qualifying several years back, after the game, you know, hey Gio, how's it going? You know, he's a big dude, tall dude, pretty beefy already. He's not some little pipsqueak, and that's you know, one of the reasons why he was played already so early at Borussia Dortmund and was able to contribute and do well is because he was physically mature at a, at a young age. So I don't know, man. I think you're probably right, though. And if you put them side by side, 
Greg might be like, oh, look at Jordan Morris. He's like uh, Alabama beef, corn fed beefcake or something. Let's put him <laughs> in there against these whales monsters. He'll probably be more effective. It's the only thing I can come up with, dude. I, yeah. I, I just don't get it. Crazy. An interesting decision for sure. Tell me about Walker Zimmerman. Do you like him? Nah. No. I, I thought Tim Ream played really well, especially in that first half. He didn't make a lot of mistakes. But man, I, I just go back to the John Brooks thing. Mm. You know, if, if, you, if you had maybe those two, Tim Ream and John Brooks partnered in the back, you know, the, the ability to, to bring the ball out of the back for us would be so much better. But, you know, I, Stu was building up Walker Zimmerman. I think he said something like two-time MLS Defender of the Year or some, something like that. But guys, man, at that, at that level, the World Cup stage, that's just not the answer. Walker Zimmerman's not the answer. It's interesting. This whole thing about inexperience and a young team, not that Walker Zimmerman's young, uh, but certainly inexperienced. You know, it's his first World Cup. This whole narrative has started to take shape deliberately quite a while ago, ever since we qualified, because it already offers some cover, some cover for the establishment. Because you'll always be able to say, oh, it was like one of the, if not the youngest teams at the World Cup. They're very young. In 2026, they'll now be in their prime or entering their prime. So this was perfect preparation for everybody involved. It's all a cover. And that's what's going to be said after the fact. And so I think it's important. It's incumbent upon not just us, but other independent sources of information and media to really take a hammer to that narrative now, get ahead of it, so that they can just, can't just get away with that bullshit. Wales also, you can say, is completely inexperienced. Wales hasn't been to a World Cup in how 60 some odd years. This is our first World Cup in half a century or half a century. And none of those players have ever played in a World Cup either. So you wanna talk experience, there's a tremendous lack of experience as well. Wales had seven shots to our six. Wales had three shots on target to our one. And it was perfectly possible for Wales to have come out with a victory at the end of it all. Kelly Acosta's tactical foul there at the very end, you know, when Matt Turner came out and then the ball landed right on, uh, it was Gareth Bale, right? He ended up having the ball. Yeah, it was Gareth Bale. And Gareth Bale was winding up and he started to swing his 40-yard long ball into an empty net which would have had a good chance of going in, I think, Joe. And Kellen Acosta, very smartly, all credit to him, fouled him, took the yellow, and prevented the 2-1 victory to Wales. And at that point, Joey, honestly, the U.S. is out of the World Cup, if I'm being sincere. Anything can happen, okay? But this United States against the England that we're seeing, the United States is not winning that game. Yeah. No, you you brought up an interesting topic the narratives that are shared and you said it earlier tuning into the english speaking broadcast the the fox sports broadcast of Stu holden and um who was who was the other one i can't remember who the other one is but they're all the same they're all yeah clean. you you hear them constantly throw mls into um you know their their comments around what's going on with the national team 
Uh, and yeah, making those sort of excuses. I, I remember hearing that one myself where, uh, yeah, this is, I think they said the second youngest team in the World Cup. And that's it's the same with me, man. That's why it's so difficult to watch the Fox Sports broadcasts when you're watching these games because it's very clear that they are trying to create narratives around their their agenda towards everything and making it look like MLS has um, so much positive effect on the game in this country and the national team program. The national team program is what it is because of MLS. And that's for me as well, it makes it very difficult to watch to watch those broadcasts. I well, now I just did. watch it on mute. <laughs> I did. I started to, but I muted it. I don't. Yeah. I can't fully understand the the Spanish speaking broadcast fluently. I pick up little things. Sometimes I'll listen to it just because I pick up little things here and there. But but yeah, man, it's it does. And this goes back to previous podcasts that we've done. Like what what media sources are you consuming? as someone who operates in the American soccer ecosystem. And that's yeah. very, very important as well, because it sort of paints the picture for you and how you view the game in this country. Yeah, it's human programming. You are what, instead of you are what you eat, you are what you consume. You are what you read. You are what you hear. You are what you watch. And if you are reading, watching, hearing, principally sources that if they don't work, for MLS slash US soccer, they are dependent upon the MLS US soccer ecosystem for the jobs that they do, for their living, to put dinner on the table and have a roof over their heads. And so naturally, it's understandable. They are going to have all the bias in the world towards their employer or the single company, which essentially regulates uh, who gets paid and who doesn't get paid in the United States. And so if you are constantly tapped into those sources of information, you too will become those sources of information. That is what you're being programmed with. You are being literally, your brain is programmed with that stuff. It's like a computer programmers uh, program computers, writers, content creators program human beings. They program human minds. And this is just how it works. And it's very scary when you think about it that way. Yeah. You know, you know, to harp on this young team thing, Joe, you've played high school soccer. You have played in American soccer, whether it's club, high school, college, whatever, as have I. And so you've been exposed to that exact narrative. And that exact narrative also extends to all pro sports here in the United States. It's, oh, our high school team is young this year. So we're rebuilding. We have a lot of freshmen. We graduated uh, a lot of seniors last year, and so we're a young team, and that's why we didn't make the playoffs, or that's why, you know, our record is atrocious. And everybody seems to buy it. Hook every year, hook, line, and sinker. Somebody is saying we're a young team. Our seniors graduated. These guys are going to be ready in two or three years from now. In college, same exact thing. College soccer, and by extension, I could probably say this is the narrative for college football, for college baseball, for high school baseball, for high school basketball, for college basketball. It's always this story when things aren't going well. We're a young team. Because how often are they going to be checked in such detail as to say, well, no, what do you mean you're a young team? You're kind of just like everybody else. 
if you were to do the homework a bit. And yes, you might be a quote unquote young team, but how much does that really matter? How much does it really matter? It happens with club soccer too. It happens with all the American sports. They'll say, trust the process. So they buy themselves time. They buy themselves a year, two years, three years. And by the way, when next year comes around or two years have gone by and you still haven't done shit, everybody forgot the stories that came out two years ago. It's a young team, wait two years. You know, when we have all the seniors and when we're more mature and more experienced, nobody remembers those stories. People have moved on from that. So there's no accountability to trust the process. It's always trust the process. Now they're also trying to establish this cover. Oh, pointing the finger at Greg Berhalter. Even though our own media here in this country for the past six months or whatever, maybe a little bit longer, have started little by little pointing the finger at Greg Berhalter. Oh, Greg, you should form the team according to your best talent and not the system. You're focusing too much on the system at the expense of the individual players and la, 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 so that when we fail, Joey, at the World Cup, if we were to fail, if we were to crash and burn out of the group stage, if things don't look good, the scapegoat is Greg Berhalter. The scapegoat is not our system. The scapegoat is not U.S. soccer slash MLS, which is one and the same sort of thing. It is not the fault of our media, which are completely basically bought and paid for and, and propagandists, frankly speaking, for MLS slash U.S. soccer. No, no, no. It's nothing to do with the ecosystem as a whole. It's one guy. It's Greg Berhalter. So you get rid of Greg Berhalter, you bring somebody else in, oh, trust the process all over again, right? Trust the process. And we go through a whole other cycle, two, three, four years, and then that coach is going to be the scapegoat again. And we, perpetual motion machine, it never ends. And so this is why we've been harping on this issue. Start focusing on where all of this originates from. Who hires Greg Berhalter? Who hires the guy that everybody's pointing the finger to? Okay, let's ask questions there. And it may not end there. Who hired the people who hired, you know, who hired those people? And who hired those people? Like, go all the way back. Where does the buck stop? And ultimately, where the buck stops is the system. What are the incentives in the system? Why were the people who hired Greg Berhalter in the first place felt incentivized to say, yes, this is the guy instead of somebody like Lopetegui, instead of somebody like Marcelo Biesa, instead of somebody like, I don't know, these world-renowned, global, world-class, super hyper-experienced coaches. Why were they not pursued? We should ask those questions, you see. Why was Greg Berhalter hired? If you truly believe this is Greg Berhalter's fault, you should be asking that question. 100%. The system continues to pick those that fit the, the way that they want this all to go instead of, like you said, choosing an outsider. And this is what people have to understand who participate in the ecosystem all the way down to the youth level. This system and those that it picks to work in the system and run the national team program, like we talked about earlier, they are choosing a certain type of player, a certain player profile that is not moving us forward. 
So if you go down now to the youth system, are all of our players, the players who have a, that, that flair, maybe they're, they're smaller in stature, you know, they're, they're not big physical specimens, but they have potential technical quality, playmaking quality that we don't currently see. Well, those, those kids are affected by all of this that we just touched on. And they do not get elevated within the system as it is now. And that's why it is so important for an outsider, like you said, a Bielsa, Lopetegui, to come in and change that culture to where at the youth level, hopefully we start picking these players who can move us forward. So this topic is huge and it touches everybody who operates in the ecosystem here in American soccer. It's wild, dude, because the natural superficial rebuttal is like, oh, well, Gary, okay, so who should be on the national team? Who should like? Who should be these? Where are all the? Where are these creative players? Who who got left off of the U.S. men's national team? And it's just the wrong question to ask because we have a system wide systemic problem. The players that are on the national team here, many of them are on it as a result of them being chosen and elevated by gatekeepers who have a particular sporting view and a particular political view of who and what should be elevated in our country and who and what should not be elevated in our country. So over the course of time, there are these natural filters that exist in our system and all of the players who are soccer first, diehard soccer families, soccer first culture, systematically get discarded, 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 discarded. So by the time you get to say MLS, you've already discarded a shit ton. Some still survive, though, and I'll just speak of one in particular because he's been our boy forever. Efrain Alvarez has more talent in his pinky toe than just about everybody on this national team. But look what's happening to Efrain Alvarez. That's a player whereby if he had been nurtured and elevated, and there are many others just like Efra, nurtured and elevated and elevated and elevated and fast-tracked, instead of Jordan Morris being plucked out of college soccer to be on the senior men's national team, if some of these other players who you haven't even heard of got plucked and elevated, that is who we would be talking about now. Do you, so do you know who Ethan Finley is? I've heard the name, but I don't, I don't know exactly who he is. Exactly. Exactly my point. So Ethan Finley, also a college soccer player out of Creighton University, played three or four years. I think he played the full four years, got drafted into MLS. He's been like an MLF, MLS lifer, has carved out a great career for himself contributes quite nicely for his MLS teams. I think most recently with Austin FC. And it's kind of like the same player profile as uh, say a Jordan Morris, but Jurgen elevated Jordan Morris because that, I don't know, for whatever reason, it was his preference and maybe some political rationale as well, Joey, that he can just pick a college player and put him on the senior men's national team. And he's just fine. I mean, that kind of breaks narratives. You know what I mean? It completely breaks narratives because the general populace, the media here at large, think oh, no college player can just go directly to the senior men's national team and contribute and do well. Well, Jurgen Klinsmann completely broke that to pieces by doing what he did. Okay, if he had chosen or somebody else had chosen to elevate instead, Ethan Finley, every household in America would know who Ethan Finley is and we'd be talking about Ethan Finley. Sure, I would still be saying 
fucking Christ, why is this guy even around being a professional soccer player at all? Because I personally don't think that's my player profile. But that is my point about elevating players. A gatekeeper selects, or gatekeepers, plural, selects who gets elevated. They get elevated. Everybody thinks naturally, oh, well, that must be the best type of player that we have. That's the best player we have in the country. And it's just not true. You can pick a complete nobody right now, put them on the senior men's national team, and nobody would know the difference from a performance standpoint against Wales. You could have gotten, say, oh, I don't know, uh, a Danny Leva, a 19-year-old in Seattle, at the Seattle Sounders, was on the U-17 national team also with uh, Busio and Saldana and Kobe Hernandez-Foster and Gio Reyna and all these guys. So Danny Leva plays some MLS minutes already on the Seattle Sounders this past season. You could pick him, put him on the senior men's national team, throw him in there against Wales, and we would have played the same. There wouldn't be some massive gap. It's not like we have an A team, a B team, a C team, a D team, and there's huge gaps between all of those levels. It's just not fucking true. So what's my point? Oh, Gary, well, who should be on the senior men's national team? Give me your 11 doesn't fucking work that way because the players who have not been elevated this whole time, you know, obviously haven't been playing. Okay. At the level that they should be playing at because they were not elevated. So I can throw a name out there and it's just not going to work. Or I can just throw a name out there and you'll be like, come on, Gary, that guy's not even playing pro or come on, Gary, that guy barely even gets any minutes or come on, Gary, he's on this team versus this guy is on this team or in this league or whatever. They use all these outside metrics to justify why a player is on the senior men's national team, not understanding that many times the guys who are on the senior men's national team are, are on better clubs and better circumstances because somebody elevated them with their club, MLS club, with the senior men's national team so that bigger clubs would see them and say, oh, interesting American player. Maybe I'll bring him over to our big club over here. And so it's that, that, that particular player is on a virtuous cycle now. It's not like you were on a big club and then you kind of get called to the senior men's national team. Sometimes the senior men's national team elevates you and then the big club comes a call in because for obvious reasons. Or in the case of like a Jesse Marsh sort of thing uh, with Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson, well, Brendan Aronson was elevated by the senior men's national team. He gets his move to Red Bull Salzburg in Austria. And guess who his coach is there? Guess who brought him over? The American Jesse Marsh, who was at Red Bull New York. And so he goes to Red Bull Salzburg. You see, the, it's all linked together. Let's elevate Brendan Aronson. He goes over there to Brendan Aronson's credit, 100%. Hard worker, has a lot of good tools going for him, but he's hard working. And you can tell the kid has the mentality to succeed and be good at his craft, and dedicate himself to the, his craft. And then Jesse Marsh goes to Leeds in the Premier League. I'm going to bring my boy with me for a whole host of reasons, Joey. This is, goes off into another topic here, but he brings his boy with him, brings Tyler Adams, who has a similar trajectory through the Red Bull sort of system. And you, one of the reasons you want to bring him, aside from them being good players, is a new coach and a new club wants to bring some of the guys that are very loyal to him to the new job in order to control the locker room as well, in order to be his guys in the locker room, in order for him to gain the respect of other players and have the respect of other players and make sure that a coup 
doesn't happen in the locker room against the new coach. So there's all these things that people don't consider. And now it's like a virtuous cycle. Brendan Aronson is on a virtuous cycle. Tyler Adams on a virtuous cycle. And that's why they're there. Credit to them again. I go back to how we opened the episode. Nothing against these players. And I think those two in particular are good players. Are they the type of player that is going to graduate the U.S. men's national team to the different tier, the different caliber on the international stage? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. They aren't special, special players. They're good players. Sorry to go off on a rant there. It's just something that really hits a nerve because I think I think our fan base also, I, I want them to graduate also. And I think the sources of information that are out there prevent them from graduating because the sort of thing that I just went on a rant on, nobody talks about this. Yeah. Nobody talks about the virtuous cycle a player gets on for all of these external factors. Nobody talks about, oh, the reason we have so many players in Europe now has nothing to do with the development in our country now having made a quantum leap or that MLS, out of the goodness of their heart now, chose to stop sabotaging player transfers and is going ahead and transferring some players to Europe and selling and accepting some offers. Nobody talks about the reason for all of that was externally driven. One, with Christian Pulisic kind of blazing that road, lighting the torch by him bypassing MLS altogether and going overseas for a whole host of reasons that is beyond the scope of this episode, but was successful. And then other players see, hey, that seems like a great path from a monetary perspective, economics, yeah, and from... I mean, if you want to reach the pinnacle of the sport, that's what you got to do. And so McKinney goes, it's him, McKinney. And I, I kind of see like those two guys as really the, the torch bearers, the, the, the leaders in the space, but they were like isolated cases. But then the mass exodus happened. You know what I'm talking about? 2019-ish, a dozen players or so said no to MLS and all bounced from the academy level to Europe. And that was the trigger that really made MLS change its tune. They went from not ever playing the kids, hashtag play the kids, to all of a sudden giving more opportunities to the kids and playing the kids a little bit more, to all of a sudden saying, okay, we'll transfer Brendan Aronson overseas. Okay, we'll transfer Reggie Cannon overseas. We'll allow it. Allow it being the key phrase there. We'll allow this. Oh, we'll transfer this other guy and this other guy and this other guy. And, and next thing you know, there's 10, 12, 13 transfers overseas. But it was externally driven, Joey. And the fan base doesn't even know that. The fan base has been force-fed this narrative, this frank, frankly lie that, oh, it's because like our development system you know, finally kind of kicked into gear and these players are finally ready. Uh, to go over there. And that's why European countries are now looking at us and making moves. European countries have always looked at American players. Okay. It's just, they were cock blocked. <laughs> you couldn't, you, you could not get a transfer done, dude. It was being blocked by the league over here and by others in the system. Again, apologies for the rant. You're sitting there just listening. No, it's, go. it's all good, Gary. I think it, um, it's all related. It's all related. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It, it, like we said, it, it affects people 
at the youth levels of the game. And I think people would like to think that the cream rises to the top here, but that that is not necessarily true. Like you said, some who are truly excellent and deserve to be at that level might make it all the way through. But the majority of those players who do deserve it are not rising to the top because of the systemic problems that we that we have in this country. Yeah, the the incentives are all out of whack, man. Per you know, sporting sporting excellence does not oh, let me take that back. Business success is not highly correlated with sporting excellence in our country. And if those two things aren't connected, aren't coupled, then the incentives in our country are not to pursue sporting excellence. It's something else. And I'll tell you right now, again, topic for another day, the incentives in our system are all about just chilling, going with the flow, don't ruffle any feathers. It's all about, quote unquote, entertainment anyways. Uh, just entertain the fans. They don't know any better. Honestly, that they really... <laughs> That is how fans are treated in our country. Fans don't know any better. And so just make sure that they don't know or they continue not knowing what they don't know. And that's it, man. Look, with all due respect also, Ben Olsen was at DC United. He was the DC United coach for God knows how many years. Never did quite well. And now he gets the Houston Dynamo job. Why? Is there nobody else in the world, Houston Dynamo? That might be a bit better than Ben Olsen. Maybe it'll cost you a little bit more, but really there's nobody else in the entire world. Even even somebody younger who maybe is doing well somewhere else and you give him a chance to try to prove himself here. But yeah, he, I think he has a, a record and record in MLS below 500 for his coaching career. Crazy. Yeah, and, and to show you why media... And people who work in this ecosystem don't tell you a lot of truths. One is the majority of them probably don't even know because they've been brainwashed for years and years and years. So they probably don't even know. Two, if you do know better, you're kind of intrinsically muzzled. And I'll give my me as a personal example. Right now, I'm thinking to myself, oh, shit. Should I, should I have said something about Ben Olsen right now? Because I work in, I work in this business, Joey. Right. So if I want to do business with Houston Dynamo now, will Ben Olsen be like, oh, well, Gary, I don't think you were very nice to me. You, you, you said that I wasn't very good or maybe Houston Dynamo should have pursued other coaching options instead of me. And so for the vast majority of us in media or, or us who work in the space, whether it be coaching, whether it be a player, whether it be an executive, whether it be whatever, you take the safe route. You're like... Well, I'm not going to say anything. I'll, I'll, I'll just, I, I'll choose to not say anything because what do I gain? I, I probably lose if I say something. And yeah, the audience might learn a little something that they didn't know. They might gain a little bit of an insight that they never had before. But you know what? Fuck the audience. Like who, who's the audience? Who cares about the fans? I care about me. So I'm not going to say shit. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do anything. That's kind of the thought process that all of these media folk who either know better or don't know any better, that's the thought process that they have. So right now with the men's national team, everybody's kind of like on defense mode. Okay, 
what do I say that looks good for U.S. soccer or looks good for MLS and doesn't make me look like somebody, the bad guy? Fear, fear of losing access, man. But that's, that's the media's role is critical. Probably the most important in all of this. Yeah, they're human brain programmers. They program human brains. Yes. So what they are sharing with the audience is critical. And if their mindset is, okay, like you said, I don't want to lose access. So I'm just going to, you know, share what I know they want me to continue to say so that I can Mm -hmm. keep operating in this ecosystem myself and I'm good. But then the masses who consume that person's media, they pay the price. And then that is why we we don't move forward. But I will say that I think little by little, I think people are a little more maybe awake to what possibly is going on to a certain extent, especially when it comes to the performances of our national team. And I think that comes with viewing maybe more of the global game and realizing like, yeah, we don't play like these other big countries do. And they start to compare. But I think maybe that's the extent of it at this point. And I think the sources of media that people consume is the next important step in all of this and moving us forward as a soccer nation. Yeah, Joey, we're at the one hour mark. I, I want to make a couple more um, remarks here and, and see what your thoughts are. One is you mentioned access that many of them don't want to lose access a hundred percent from a quote unquote journalist or reporters perspective, the ones who interview MLS coaches or players or us soccer, the ones who have access. Yeah, sure. They don't want to lose access, but there's a, a whole contingent of media slash reporter slash journalists who actually don't have access. They don't do those interviews or aren't on the call, the U S soccer calls, for instance. So they would say like access, what access? These guys don't know what they're fucking, they're talking about. I have no fear of losing access. I don't even have access. True. But it's kind of indirect. Yes. You don't want to lose your audience. You want to pander and cater to your audience. And principally, your audience is comprised of the generic, general, casual soccer fan base who's already been kind of been programmed by the establishment. And you want to be kind and favorable to that fan base. So what, what is that you have to do? You kind of have to regurgitate and parrot the same sort of things that the establishment likes. So it's kind of like a cascade effect. And some of these media outlets might have little micro businesses in play. They might I don't know, have advertisers. Okay. So they have make a couple bucks here and there on the side. Maybe it's a side gig or maybe you have a patron page and maybe you're doing pretty well. Somehow, some way you might have some sort of revenue stream. And so now, now all of a sudden you're very conservative and careful with what it is that you say, because you say something a little bit too controversial. And all of a sudden you have the establishment kind of attacking you. And then you might even have a little revolt by your fan base itself and your delicate little flower kind of falls apart. You see? So it's not that they're fearful of losing their access. They're fearful of losing whatever little niche they've carved out for themselves. You see? Do you also think Gary, that 
There's also the hope of, like we talked about with players, being elevated, the establishment elevating you, you know, to to a new level within the media. Is there that hope too? And more reason to to pander and go along with the establishment sort of narratives. Well, they all support each other. Since the whole ecosystem is monopolized, nobody really competes with each other. So you'll see like the establishment journalists kind of kiss each other's ass. And no matter what outlet you're writing for, if you're writing or creating content for ESPN and somebody else is writing content for uh, Fox or Sports Illustrated or whatever the fuck it happens to be, you never see those guys go after each other ever. They're all one big happy family, even like promoting each other's work and stuff. And I'm sure they've told, they've said to themselves, oh, it's because we're good people. You know, we're all in this together and we want soccer to grow in this country. And by doing this, I'm contributing in a positive way for soccer to grow in this country. I get it. I know that's, that's one of the things that they're thinking, but the reality is there's no competition then in the space. And so you all have the same sort of opinion. Sure, you might disagree on this player should play versus that player should play, but you aren't really getting to the heart of the matter. It's all superficial crap that nobody can really attack you for. Oh, you, well, you, you, you're, you want to start Geo over jo- uh, Tim Weah? Wow, like why? That makes no sense whatsoever. And you have they have a little spat between these what players preferred. Who gives a fuck? That, that doesn't even matter. What we're talking about is serious things. Why is Greg Berhalter the coach of the U.S. men's national team? No, nobody, nobody, nobody answers that question. Nobody goes after that. Yeah. Why was Greg Berhalter hired versus somebody else? Why were the people who hired Greg Berhalter hired? Who's, who, where does the buck stop? Why, is, why are things the way that they are? They won't have arguments over that, Joey. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. The, the, the other thing that I thought of, Joe, is, for, so for instance, this. Uh, here, I'll give you an example. I'll, I'll hit it. I'll try to hit it home. It's super controversial to say me as an American citizen born and raised here to say I want the U.S. men's national team to crash and fucking burn. That is super, like, it's, that is like, what? the fuck are you talking about what is this like you are enemy of the state sort of thing why is that so controversial i'll tell you the reasoning one is clearly i see a lot of systemic issues in the country that go way beyond the sporting side and go into the socioeconomic cultural sort of and political sort of things and it gets to the core of individual human opportunities and how they are being not squandered, but literally oppressed and and a whole swath of people and certain demographics have been pushed to the side and continue to be pushed to the side and ignored and disenfranchised. So this is much more than a stupid soccer team kicking up a soccer ball on a rectangular patch of grass. So when you look at it from that angle, and if you want things to change for the better from a moral perspective, you know, and you want open access and you want things to be more inclusive and equal opportunity sort of thing. Not that everybody should get a trophy. Don't, don't get me wrong. 
just the opportunity to compete and merit your way in this marketplace, if you want that to change for the better, you need whoever's in charge of the system, you need the establishment to fail and fail spectacularly so that everybody is forced to ask serious questions about why. If the team succeeds, then the establishment will do precisely the opposite. They will use the success of the team as a referendum on things should continue. We're making progress. Everything is fan-fucking-tastic. And so nothing changes. So if you're on the side that you want change in American soccer, the American soccer ecosystem, which comprise of human beings, businesses, businesses employ human beings, and equal opportunity in the marketplace, it should not be controversial to want spectacular failure. But you see, nobody will talk about it. That's something that you and I have talked about, wanting things to fail so that hopefully we can rise from the ashes of that failure towards something bigger and better. But yeah. And here's an example. I'm going to keep ranting, bro. Go for it. This is great. I love it. Well, I just just mentioned the reason that so many players now got transferred to Europe finally in the past three years after a 25-year history of the league not really doing this. That happened because of failure, spectacular failure on the part of MLS franchises to sign their homegrown players, a spectacular failure to, quote-unquote, play the kids in the preceding 10 years that like the academy, for instance, and academies uh, finally sprouted up with MLS franchises, they were spectacular failures when this whole cohort of academy players left to Europe for free. And so the league had to fucking change. And it was a change, I think everybody will agree with this, for the better. The kids started playing, more transfers started occurring, but that came from something bad that happened to them. Make sense? So now they're on a better trajectory. Yep. It's the same thing here. And also the last World Cup cycle, the U.S. men's national team did not qualify for the World Cup. So spectacular failure, spectacular crash and burn. Things were reshuffled and reorganized. All of a sudden we get a sporting, we get sporting executives kind of in control, more in control of the sporting side of U.S. soccer. You have Ernie Stewart come in, you have Brian McBride come in. And as much as we might want to talk about, again, political alignment and those sorts of things, at the very least, you've got sport, some sporting legitimacy in U.S. soccer. Whereas before, you didn't have those roles. I don't know if it was just Sunil Gulati just the fuck is Sunil Gulati, a <laughs> soccer dad who worked the political machinery to get to where he got. That was the guy who was hiring and firing the national team coach. That is the guy who was directing sporting sort of decisions in U.S. soccer. So at least that changed, right? And at least also U.S. soccer had a posture where it's like, yeah, MLS, yeah, we need to fucking get our players to Europe for Christ's sake, okay? Whereas when Jurgen Klinsmann was saying the same stuff, he got the ax. But then Bruce Arena came in, we did not qualify for the World Cup, spectacular failure, 
change of posture by the league, change of posture from U.S. soccer. So spectacular failure leads to changes for the better. Shouldn't be that controversial, Joey. It really shouldn't. 100%. So when I, when I text you today and I said, vamos Wales, that's why, <laughs> yeah, that, that's why I did it. <laughs> yeah, because man. Because that, yeah. that is what we hope for, man. They view it the opposite. The, fam, the media the, who doesn't know shit about football and the fan base who listen to that media and consequently end up learning shit about football, they see it the opposite. They say, oh, we need our senior men's national team to do great so that soccer gets better in our country. They think that, oh, if the U.S. men's national team gets to the quarterfinals or the semifinals or something, that that is going to blow our sport up in our country and everything's going to be better. Hey, it might get, quote unquote, better for you guys and for your group and for your demographic and for the current establishment. Sure. But how about for the rest of us? How about for the Latino community, the Mexican-American community, all of these, the biggest fucking communities and demographic in our country? It doesn't get better for them. It gets worse for them. Yeah. And it's the establishment that's had control of things for decades now, and nothing has changed. Yeah, Just man. The, the media messages have changed. I didn't plan on going off on this rant, Joe. I really didn't. <laughs> But it's World Cup fever, maybe. And the passion is coming out of us. Yeah, dude. It's just World Cup fever. And somebody's somebody that at least has to contribute uh, uh, some different ideas out there. And Taylor Twelman tweeted out the other day something about, oh, look, you know, we got all this diversity and for, from our players on the senior men's national team. There's all these African-American players. Uh, more than ever before, I think is what he said, if I'm not mistaken. Sorry, Taylor. He's like, oh, all we need are the Latinos now. And now we're going to get a, this is great because it brings diversity of thought uh, to our country, to our ecosystem. It's, Taylor, with all respect, and I know you mean well, that's not true. Okay. And I'll tell you my answer to him just to go on the record here for our audience. And because I'm on a roll with my rant. The players are just employees, Joey. Yeah. They're just employees. And employees are going to behave within the narrow confines of what their employer believes is appropriate behavior and what it is that you can say, what it is that you cannot say, how it is that you carry yourself, all of the above. So diversity of thought, diversity of ideas in the marketplace don't come from employees. It comes from the power centers. If we have diversity of power centers, diversity of people who are owners basically of their own destiny and don't work for anybody and aren't compromised by anybody or the establishment, that is where diversity of thought comes from. So if you, Taylor, if you want more of that, you should be blowing me up to your audience and saying, this is somebody that you should be listening to, to get an alternative perspective on the American game. But Taylor won't do that. Either won't Grant Wall or either will any of these little niche outlets that have their own little fiefdoms. Why? Because you don't want diversity of thought. You really do not want that. You want to be only listened to and nobody else can be elevated. And this is just a fact. This is why you got rid of Jurgen Klinsmann. 
Jurgen Klinsmann started giving some diverse opinions, opinions that were not aligned with the establishment, such things as more of our players should be going to Europe, such things as, oh, Bradley, Dempsey, and Altidore came back from Europe to play in MLS. That's not good for the national team. That's, I mean, obvious things that Klinsman said. It shouldn't be very controversial. And all of a sudden, the whole establishment mobilized against him. All these media muppets were deployed to write stories to tarnish his name, to tarnish his capabilities as a coach, to tarnish his capabilities in all matters American soccer culminating in his firing and they continue to insist it had nothing to do with anything aside from his coaching capabilities which is bullshit so you don't want diversity of thought you don't 100%. you want 100%, you want 100% you want 100% alignment you want everybody to bend the fucking knee and for everybody who does not feel that they've had to bend the knee all you media folks yeah you didn't cuz you were already aligned with what the establishment believes and so you don't feel any sort of pressure to bend any sort of knee no they represent what you represent so you're perfectly aligned you never felt any pressure oh we're going to take away your access if you say x y or z no because you've never even contemplated that much about saying x y or z because that's fucking crazy talk to you you're already aligned with them all right joe i'm so sorry no you're good man (laughs) this is they said, we've talked about this stuff like privately and behind closed doors for a long time. And I think um, this is good, man. This is good. I'm going to bore the audience, bro. I don't know if the no, audience is like, fuck, Gary, so, like, what are you doing, dude? This is so. crazy. I'm too, 343 podcast has like gone off the rails. <laughs> like uh, I was so wrong about you. I don't know, dude. This was good. This, this has been... Um, building up i think and and it's good that it came out man yeah but they don't i, I barely gotten started oh like, i you, know <laughs> yeah. there's this is nothing dude this is like barely boop here's i put a little hole the I just tip put of the iceberg hole, yeah a little hole in the curtain oh the things i could say dude but i'm i'm still biting my lip and it shows it shows the power of when the ecosystem is monopolized it shows that even somebody like me I'm still keeping quiet. Maybe one day, Joey. <laughs> little by little, huh? <laughs> little by little, man. Little by little. All right, dude. Um, I don't know if I left anything out. If you have parting remarks or any remarks whatsoever, I'm probably going to try to get a little bit of rest before Argentina at 2 in the morning. It's 8.30 p.m. now. Same here, man. I think the last thing I'll say to everybody, consume carefully, everybody. Mm. wiser words never spoken all right dude where can we find you it's at joey underscore cassio that so i'm i'm mainly on twitter and instagram my instagram is yes at joey underscore cassio and then on twitter i'm at cassio underscore fg brilliant brother hit me up up, everybody i'm happy to engage Excellent. Let's let's stop it there. Uh, but we should probably reconvene for the se- the next U.S. team games. Yeah, let's like do afterwards. it again. Let's do it again after the England game. Or do you want to yeah. wait till after the two group games? No, 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 I don't know. Let's see what happens. Okay. Let's see if, if we feel inspired. What's interesting is that we 
didn't prepare for this. We don't take notes. We didn't rewatch the game at all and say, oh, okay, you know, at minute 10, at minute 12, at minute 24, at minute 45, these sorts of things happen. No, it's we're going off of memory. And I will say the following is I watched the game more from an entertainment fan slash perspective. I, w- I did not have my coaching hat on. I did not have my analyst hat on. I just kicked back and tried to just watch a soccer game. So of all the things that occurred, you know, things that stood out for me were what we talked about. And I'm, but I'm sure there's other little details that if I rewatch the game and I put my coaching hat on, my analyst hat on, I'd be able to pick apart. It was also interesting. Did we talk about not playing out of the back that Matt Turner just launched the ball oh, forward for, they, for from goal kicks? There was a goal kick that I recall in the first half when we had complete control of the game. And I think there were two Wales players standing on the edge of the 18-yard box as we were taking a goal kick and Turner motions for the center backs and the defenders to all get up and he launches it forward. So even in a moment where, yeah, we had good control, we were, had the ball, Wales was dropping off of us, we chose not to try to build out of the back in that moment. And I think that that says a lot. It does say a lot. All right, man. We'll cut it there. All right. Say hello, say hello to uh, Jamie. I heard the kids in the background a little bit. Uh, hopefully they're, they're not too restless. You can put them to bed and get some rest. Yeah, I think they're asleep now, man. Did did you really hear him in the back? Because I have my headphones in. No, yeah, a little bit, a little bit, but I I don't think it's that bad. I think it'll be fine. Okay, Okay. very good. All right, right, my boy. I will catch you again. I'm sure we'll be texting back and forth in the days to come. For sure. All right, Gary. Maybe I'll text you at two in the morning, man. Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. A reminder for coaches. You can get both the free and premium coaching programs at 343coaching.com. Don't let anyone tell you your teams can't win by playing dominant possession-based football while also developing individual players to the highest levels. Nonsense. We've proved it at every single level and so have hundreds of serious member coaches across the country. Now that we've moved on to the pro level, we're delivering everything we've learned in the program. Don't wait and continue delaying getting on a proven path. And parents, 343masterclass.com is where you want to go to get a working compass for navigating the American soccer landscape with your player. It's pretty bad out there, but let our experience guide you. And if you're interested in a solution that blends both academics and soccer, there's even the opportunity to do this in Europe as well. To learn more, visit acceleratorschool.com. Until next time, cheers everyone and keep building.